Welcome to the Space of the Waste, featuring host Melody Edmondson. Do you struggle with the right look to complement your body shape? Have you tried so many different looks and styles only to be disappointed time and again? You've landed on the right program. We'll show you how to make the right style work in your favor. Now, here is Melody Edmondson. Good morning. Welcome to Voice America. This is your host, Melody Edmondson. I want to introduce to you today New York Embroidery Studio. I have the designer, Milad, and I have the head of marketing, Natalie. We're going to split the show today between them because I want to hear all about the intricacies of that Milad does and his designing and his inspiration. And I also want to know how Natalie gets it out there for the world to see and buy, of course. And they are very, very huge. They are the largest, most important embroidery studio, I think, on the planet. Um, And this comes from information I've gotten all over the world from different people because Voice America is in 160 countries. We can get a lot of feedback. So I'm going to open the show. And Malad, let's hear where you came from and uh, where you were born and how you got into this marvelous business. Perfect. Well, good morning, Melody. Good morning, everyone. Um, My name is Milad Kraybani. I go by he, him. Um, I'm the design director at New York Embroidery Studio. We'll give you some background of um, where I was born. I was born in the Ivory Coast in Abidjan from Lebanese parents. I grew up there for about, and then I moved to Lebanon at the age of 10. Uh, lived there for another 10 years. Um, Within that time, I knew from my Lebanese heritage that, you know, embellishment um, has always been something like Lebanese people love. Um, And they like fashion in general. I mean, we have the biggest couturier in Lebanon, like Eli Saab, Zuhair Murad, Rabia Kedouz. So these names have always been like... um, references for me or like idols to me like I would love to be like one of them so now you are well (laughs) I wouldn't say the same caliber but thank you uh I definitely look at them as an inspiration um I, I honestly before fashion I actually went to law school and I was like no bueno this is not for me <laughs> no bueno uh, it was more like <laughs> legally blonde but the opposite <laughs> it's more like legally blonde decided no you know what fashion is for me not law <laughs> so I, I can't then, see you liking that <laughs> I mean listen when I want justice I will get it <laughs> I would want it in fashion. Yeah, there you (laughs) go. Want it. Um, So I decided to go into law, to fashion school, and uh, studied it in Esmod in Lebanon in Beirut, Um, and uh, graduated. Then got met my husband in Lebanon. He actually visited Lebanon to potentially produce his American brand in Lebanon because manufacturing in Lebanon was less expensive than here. And we have some uh, factories in Lebanon. I wouldn't say that the scale as producing here, but it's 
less expensive. But they're good, but they're good with embroidery and things so, like that or not? So the brand was not about embellishment when okay. I first started uh, with him. And when I met him, it was more about um, it's sportswear. It was more, okay. Yeah, it was tailored and things like tailored. that. Yeah. Um, and you know, I just graduated. I wanted to see what an American brand would want. Right. It was definitely some different than what I thought fashion is because you know you you go to school, you have all these high expectations about oh, I'm gonna be dressing all these celebrities, you know, and. Yes. In my country in Lebanon, like it is about that because at least have dresses celebrities. Like it's known to be couture, evening wear, not necessarily sportswear. So um, we started production there. I would say maybe we had like a little rocky experience in Lebanon because it's not known to be a sportswear type of manufacturing. Okay. Then we decided that we had to bring it back to the United States and produce, be made in New York, made in the USA. And um, so, yeah, I met him in Lebanon, then moved here with him. Um, and uh, it was definitely, I have to say, being with your husband, working with your husband. Yes. <laughs> is challenging. <laughs> it's a lot of time. I had that experience, but I would say I understand. It's tough. I met my husband was a CEO of a company when I met him. So uh, and then he was my boss. So I I do understand that. And when we I'll just jump to when we retired, uh, I was playing golf, but I decided golf clothes are ugly and they don't look good on short waisted women with very long legs. So I decided even though I had an 85 mile an hour ball and I probably would have been able to be pretty good but I decided I need the space in my closet I'd rather just give all that to some lady that golfs and I will just have all that room in my closet to buy beautiful clothes I didn't like hanging out in golf clothes all day and no makeup and no jewelry and no embellishment yes not for me Not for me. And um, my husband understood. And then it also was good to not be 24 (laughs) seven. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> because you don't have any chance to miss them. You know? No, I think that's exactly the, what the issue is when you're with your loved ones, working yes. with them. It's like you go back home, you're still with them. And then the work problems come home with you. Yes. And yeah. it's the same not, ones. Yeah. The same, at least this way you can talk about them and he'll have another view because it's not the same line, you know, but the same work. Well, it, we had the business for six years. Uh, I don't know how we did it, but we did it. I have to say, when you don't have uh, um, uh, backers and you're starting from scratch, you have to and think in about New York, in New York City, so and, and you know you have to think about the design side of fashion, and you have to think about the business side. The, in general, the industry is a tough industry. I wouldn't say yeah. it's an, if it was that easy, everyone would be a designer and have a brand. But it is definitely a challenging experience to open something from scratch with no yes. help. And we were the only two designers in the 
company at the time because we couldn't afford having a third person to help. Sure, sure, so, I understand. So that experience was um, definitely made me think more of a business way of working and designing. Then I decided, you know, it, was, it would be good for our relationship to perhaps move into a different uh, brand or open up something else. Yes. Then I met um, someone in the industry uh, that introduced me to David Meister. Oh, yeah. David Meister is from California. I'm sure okay. you're... I know. know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I remember I interned at the time I interned for David Meister and Marquesa at the same time. I wanted to have two different experiences, an Mm -hmm. evening wear experience where it can be bridge and an evening wear experience where it can be couture based type of brand. Um, And I was like, I'm going to make my decision and see what do I really want in this industry and both of them are more about embellishment and it's evening where it's like a yes. type of like life, which yes. I love. Yes. Who doesn't want to look pretty and beautiful every beautiful. day? Beautiful. <laughs> yes. So or on I a special that. day, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So go big or go home, I say. Exactly. <laughs> so I decided that, you know, working in the in Bridge and working for David Meister was my choice. I wanted to cater to that woman, to more women, Mm -hmm. because couture is so specific. It's like maybe 10% of the people can afford it. I wanted to be able to dress more people and still have, um, still be evening. Yes, and it gives you an idea of... Not that you just sold in America, but it would give you a bird's eye view or actually more precise view of women's body shapes and waist lengths. I mean, that's my big thing is waist length because so too many dresses just have a waist. Well, that's ideal, but most women aren't built like that. And even if you have a short torso and long legs, most of the time you're short-waisted. And if you have a long torso, most of the time you have short legs yes, and right. just a balanced waist or a real long waist, yes. real long waist, over eight and a half inches down to your hip. And I've got a double whammy because not only my only four inches, my hips are high. So right after my waist is my hips. So there's no yes. way I can wear any kind of a belt. I can put a belt on my hips yes. and... Uh, but uh, it's just very hard to find things except for knits that yes. don't have that seam because it's much cheaper to piece fabrics. You notice if you see lower price brands, they always piece things. And it, you're lucky if you have five inches in the waist. So long waisted people cannot wear cheap clothes because they're never long enough. So my thing is just don't have a waist on there because if you're long waisted or balanced, you can just put your own belt. And if you're short waisted, you don't want a belt. And if you're perfectly proportioned, which very few people are like 10%, then they can wear the waisted dresses. Otherwise, you know, go and alter something. First of all, I've had many seamstresses and they all tell me and tailors that, you know, you cannot extend that waist 
and and have it look right unless you have a big enough belt to then cover up the new material that they have to use. If the manufacturer is out of the fabric, they can't send. I've known women that have bought two dresses in order to have enough of the fabric to add in the center. They basically remake wow. the dress if they're long waisted, or they cut off the bottom like this because they have such short legs and try to use that sometimes to make sleeves. I've heard, I've heard everything. Yes, that's that's definitely. Back um, to you. Makes you become crafty, I have to say. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm sure you learned about a lot of the American body shapes being pretty different than Lebanese and some of the other countries like French and even Sweden, you know, different body shapes. Yes, it's definitely different. And what a woman like here is different than what a Lebanese woman likes or what a French woman like. So designing for the American woman was also something new for me because I always imagine one type of look, which is very Lebanese, and that was not like the customer here. And uh, the way to get to know your customer is to go into the stores and meet them and see what they're really gravitating towards, like what is it that they really like and why do they like it? So having trunk shows was important, being around and hearing back feedbacks was important as a designer, uh, which I think from my husband Blair and from David Meister, I think that was very important for them that I learned this part of the business, not just be like, oh, I just wanna design and make beautiful things. Well, if it's not gonna sell, then you don't have a paycheck. <laughs> yeah. So yes. it all kind of trickles down and you kind of have to listen to your salesperson, which was um, tough for me, I have to say. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> Be like my mother. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I definitely learned that and it made me realize that, you know, not every woman wants a the cleavage to be all open all the way down like not everyone can wear that you have to take in consideration that every design has got to have a deep v some of them you know they still want to cover and you have to understand that why you have to have a sleeve why you don't like Mm -hmm. it was definitely and you know the woman that's buying that that price point is from her 40s and up oh yeah absolutely 30 year old woman Unfortunately, this is not the customer that's spending money. And uh, in my ideal world, I think when you graduate from fashion, you just think, oh my God, this is the woman that's buying it, 30 year old or 20 year old. This is not reality. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn that the hard way. And I understand what a woman goes through and wants for to complement her body. Yes, exactly. And even. Uh, even though we all feel forever 35, those of yeah. us that are way over 35, I feel forever 35, except for my knees and my hips and my and back. And I used to always lift weights, but now with my neck, I have degenerating discs because I was in a bad car accident. So now my arms do not look like they did at 35. And I have to have some kind of a, of yeah. a three quarter. All bodies are beautiful. You know, and you have yeah. to do something with, I mean, I just like sleeves, uh, you know, all the time only because I know how my arms used to look, even though yeah. if, you, if I got in a row with a lot of women, mine look might look better because uh, 
I do use my own resistance. But the thing is, you can't go back to looking like you did at 21, you know, even at 51. Yeah, or 65 or whenever your kids are getting married. I have a friend who's 50, going to be 54. And uh, her son will probably be getting married when she's around 60, I'd say. She's still going to be drop dead gorgeous at 5'11 and 130 pounds. But everything, the thing about skin is it does just sag. Even if yeah. you're working out, if you have soft skin, it's going to sag a little bit. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, I think more like every body shape is beautiful. I yes, think. I do too. Also, I think long sleeves are so chic and beautiful. They are. Like, having a beautiful long sleeve dress is just gorgeous. Um, so, yeah. so I had to learn that on the job and kind of understand what it, what it means to be a designer, it's to understand a woman's body and kind of explore how to make it yes. look like she, she wants to feel like a star every day. Yes. So I have to learn how to make her feel beautiful. Like, so and um, chic. Yeah, she exactly. can, you know, not particularly, but elegant and chic, I think. Yeah, exactly. Especially for your be, kind of things, the embellished, beautiful gowns, you know. So... Yeah, so I worked for David Meister, and then after that, the contract between the company that um, that they had David Meister kind of like ended. They then decided to open a new brand, and that's where Floretal came into mind, where they discussed this with me and my colleagues, and we started a new brand, and uh, we wanted the brand to be. A bit younger feel. More yes. It's very and, pretty, um, though. Very pretty. I thank followed you. it. I think yeah. it's, I looked at all of the past seasons and. Thank you so I, much. How beautiful. I could see my nieces in it, yeah. you know, my young nieces. So we try to be in a price point where it's not too pricey, but still it's, you know, I think that price point is for a girl that, or a woman that is a young professional, she's got to have a job. Otherwise, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a job or a trust fund. <laughs> yeah, a job or a trust fund or a daddy that I still mean, buys her it, things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we try to cater to everyone, but I have to say it's a bit tough to be able to fit to. No, you can't. You, you can't. can't. It's really tough. Can. You have got to know who your customer is. That's why they have Target and Walmart and some of the Macy's. Yeah, some of them yeah, have the lower, everything. like main floor and, and even some of the Bloomingdale's in there. I know I always used to buy shoes in the lower price shoe department when I lived in New York because I was in my 20s. And I, yeah. I wanted to buy, you know, mode free zone and all of that. But I couldn't afford that till I was 30. You know, yeah. then I whether I could afford it or not, I was going to buy it, you know. <laughs> I know, and those kind of books. <laughs> I'll dodge my rent, you know, but I'm going to buy those shoes. And that I'm not advising that for any of my listeners, particularly my nieces. That that's a bad way to live. But yeah, <laughs> it I, is I, exactly what I did, and somehow I got by with it for those seven years in New York. <laughs> exactly what I do, and I should not do that. <laughs> got to have this. It was yes. when I fell in love with something, it was like I was going to die if I didn't get it. And back 
think it was in the early 70s, 80s, I bought this teal leather uh, Isabel Lamb teal leather pantsuit jacket with a silk peach blouse and a scarf dyed to match. I had the scarf made in California, bought the blouse from someone else, probably Marianne Restivo, because my friend worked there and I could get a 40% off discount. And I wore that and I bought the mode free zone shoes to wear with them because that was those shoes. I don't even know if you know what they were. They were very iconic. They had like a narrow point and then they had kind of a slanting little heel like that. And, And I, of course, I got those in black, but anyway... Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, listen, fashion, everyone wants to spend some money to feel beautiful and gorgeous. I mean, I have to say, it just kind of gives you, um, it just ups your moral. Elevates your feeling of yourself, expressing yourself. And I, seriously, I wore that suit for 15 years. So if you took... Price per wearing, this is how I rationalize, price per wearing and price per year. Back then, $2,000 went a very long way. That's what I tell my husband. I tell Blair, well, I'm going to wear it again and it's going to pay off. Then you're going to. And I'm going to still look fabulous. That's right. To look fabulous. Absolutely. Oh, look fabulous. And my um, husband still at, does that sometimes with me. He said, could this be possibly right? Could this be right that in one day you spent $12,000 on the row dresses? And I go, yes, it is. And that's on sale. That's on sale. And that's a bargain. And then he sees them and he thinks they all look alike because they're all black and long because they're like ankle T length and they're all long and black, but they have different necklines and different it's fabrics. Different. And now that he has this big deal to go to uh, at the, uh, what's it called? It's some big hotel somewhere. And his people that he used to work with when he was CEO at a, uh, world duty free, world duty free, yeah. duty free Americas was the name of it. Duty free America, and he um, we're going down there. So I, I said every night I'll wear one of my the row dresses. See, see how yeah. they come in handy. <laughs> yeah. So um, so then I decided that we, I should stay with Floretel, and I worked on the design, you know, part of the job, and especially embellishment. I wanted that to be what I do is more embellishment because I believe it makes the garment even more special. And, you know, and this is where, how I grew up and what I learned from my, uh, you know, from Leb- as being Lebanese, this is what you do. You embellish stuff. And I wanted to bring that into the equation in this um, brand. So I did that for a couple of years, for two years. Then 2020 hit, and it hit real bad. That's where um, everyone that's- got, you know, it destroyed a lot of careers. It destroyed a lot of dreams. And uh it I sure did. Say, a lot of people closed down and yes. still closing. But yeah. people are learning to buy expensive, beautiful gowns online now. Yes, I mean, it changed I, the way the game, like the whole fashion game. And 
In every, actually, not just fashion, in the whole world, in every industry. Oh, in yeah. Like, Groceries. Groceries. Yeah. Like you buy it online, it gets to your door right away. And you don't even have to meet the delivery guy. No, no. <laughs> No. And it's, 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 it's difficult because I really didn't buy, I used to always like fly to New York and I'd go to Saks and, and Bergdorf's and I'd buy my better things, you know, the designer things. But when the pandemic hit, we weren't going anywhere. So I said, you know, when my birthday was coming, <laughs> that's when I spent all that money. And, but I had been, I'd been watching things, you know, yes. for first markdowns, but I wear a 10 or a 46. So I have to be careful or it's going to be gone. When it gets down to one, I got to buy it, you know, I, even if it's not marked down because I'm going to die if I don't get it, you know. I know. <laughs> so, John, so I bought four of the row and four Marnie. That was my first trip into prints because I'm pretty much black maybe a white shirt or an ivory, like what you have on kind of an off white or white, like your shirt or something, but maybe in a crisp linen, I would wear a white pant and a white shirt through the years. But basically I'm a black girl because I, you know, lived in New York and that was that. If you got caught wearing fuchsia blouse to work, people would say, you're wearing that today. <laughs> so I, I, so John goes, well, I haven't gotten your birthday gift yet. And I go, yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. Done and done. <laughs> then the bill comes on American Express. He goes, uh, could this be? And I go, yeah, that's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> that's just a birthday. That was a big birthday. That was not Christmas. That was just birthday. You, you can just, even combine it. You can even yeah. combine it because my birthday's on Christmas. So you could combine it if you want, Christmas and birthday, you which, I, ne- which I, I never let him do before. It was like two pieces of jewelry, okay? Two pieces of nice jewelry, one for Christmas, yes. one for birthday. Now we can combine because now yes. we're retired. I'll tell you, talking about combining birthdays, my name in Arabic means birthday or it means birth of Christ. It, I am born December 18th. I've always had trouble getting two gifts because they combine both uh, gifts. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He had his birthday. I have mine. So you can't combine Jesus' birthday with mine. Right, right. <laughs> two different people. <laughs> we must we must yeah. keep that same, separate. <laughs> I agree with you. I totally agree. And it's always, yeah, it's my fun. mother used to let me have my birthday party like December 3rd or something and invite the whole class. And then, of course, she'd have decorations that are collectible items, I would think by now. <laughs> I spoke to somebody I haven't seen for like 40 years. And she said, you know, that wine bottle that Marilyn kind of decorated and gave to all the seniors, I still have mine. <laughs> I said, Good for you. She was a, but she was a minister's daughter. I don't think her mother appreciated it very much. <laughs> so, yeah. So I decided then the pandemic hit. I lost my job, unfortunately. The whole uh, brand cl- had to close. The the company could not survive. You know, we never, we didn't know where we're going with this pandemic. Nobody knew. So mm-hmm. we had to shut down. We were still a young brand. 
um, you know, you had to make a decision whether you're going to keep the losses or and wait till this pandemic ends. And then we decided, you know, it doesn't work. And then um, decided during that time uh, that I needed to think about a different way of working. Every remote job was happening and I was not, this industry is not necessarily remote, um, could not do it. I mean, some people get the job remote, but I think it's more in sales, not necessarily design as much. Uh, because, you know, you still have to feel the fabric, be with the people yes. and make things happen from scratch, you know. Um, so I decided to get another skill during that pandemic. So I learned uh, 3D character animation. Uh, wow. Decided that I cannot just sit home and argue with my husband. <laughs> that you know what that's going to come in very handy at oh, New York embroidery yeah. studio in the multiverse you can yeah. do your multiverse <laughs> nyes sequin yeah. ladies and sequin yeah. men and sequin whoever <laughs> yeah so i decided i needed to keep myself busy so, so that i don't argue with him <laughs> and keep that relationship great Yes. So I chose that. Then uh, I was talking to Michelle and um, Michelle is a very dear friend of mine uh, prior to working for her. Yes. And uh, I learned that she kept her uh, studio or her factory in business by doing PPE. Um, she was the first woman in New York City to produce for the government when the pandemic happened, she was the only one making it for, um, you know, for the people. So it was, it touched my heart hearing that this is what she did. And I was like, this woman, I want to work with her. I want to be right. with someone that She's wonderful. Cares. She did not want her people to not have a job. She found a way to give them a job and That's keep right. them employed. So I reached out to her. I was like, how can I be part of this? How can I be an asset to this? And she was like, I'm very busy with the PPE. I would need someone to run the embroidery studio and, you know, have background in embellishment and embroidery. Yes. So I thought that's actually perfect for me. And I love her as, you know, how she leads this industry and um, decided why not work in embellishment again and kind of have um, something with every brand kind of because the type of work we produce is not necessarily um, for New York Embroidery Studio. It's more we bring the brand's idea to life. So you bring me an artwork in, in a beating idea, I bring it to life for you. So I wanted to be part of every development forum yep. because lots of different designers bring their silhouettes to yes. you to embellish so you, like if it's brandon maxwell or valentino or whomever you gotta yeah. put we, their stamp on it yes know, exactly bit. it's and, their thought it's their process it's their idea we do the process and the embellishment this is what we offer it's a service yeah yeah, explain to the listeners what PPE is, because I know I'm going to get a million phone calls. Yeah, <laughs> that one, right? Productive. Uh... So PPE, I'll chime Sorry. in a little Sorry, she'll bit. chime in. She has more knowledge about the PPE okay. world than I do. So um, Michelle and Mike um, got into PPE, which is personal protective equipment for... Okay. 
um, New York and also just the U.S. in general, because when we were going through COVID, Michelle saw a lack of production for PPE and medical gowns. So she really got into this and now has an 80,000 square foot space in Brooklyn, which will hopefully become a manufacturing plant for the PPE. So this is really just another branch of her company that she got into. Um, she saw a close friend of hers with COVID who was struggling and she saw, um, you know, nurses wearing garbage bags instead of having the right equipment. So she really got into this and then um, now just kind of take it off. So hopefully we'll be able to serve all different states, countries. Yeah. And really be able to supply the needs that we need for any other pandemics that happen or just in general in hospitals. That's fantastic. Thank you for that. Um, So what are you working on next, Milad? But your uh, so other um, than your your digitalization, yeah. Um, I think the goal of New York Embroidery Studio and what I have in mind for this studio. I mean, Michelle has already made a beautiful. Like, if you when you visit New York City again, um, you have to visit us. Uh, it became one of the fashion landmarks here in the city. People come and literally want to tour the studio just to see that in New York City, we have an embroidery studio in that scale and that level. Um, I want to bring it hopefully another notch up, which is hopefully be called the Lesage of New York City. Lesage is a French uh, couture uh, embroidery studio. And I'd love for us to be at that level, known to be that. So um, that's what we're hoping to build uh, our team to become at that level. I mean, I think they're doing a fantastic job, but there's always... Um, you got to have goals, you know. you got to have goals, otherwise you'll stay where you are and someone else can... Um, sneak in and try yeah, to sneak in do and what get, you're doing. Yeah, you never exactly. want anyone to ne- quite know what you're doing next. Yes, you know, what you know may what? come up with. I also really... Uh, would love for all American brands specifically just to think that it is possible to produce here in the States. Yes, it is probably slightly more expensive, but if you really want a quality and you really want to help the economy, I think it's so important to start thinking about producing here. It costs almost the same by the time you spend money on shipping. Yes, Developing well, struggle back and, and forth with the, all the money that some of the fast fashion is having to pay back because of landfill. I just think with with the natural fibers, there's so much going on now with natural fibers at affordable price, prices and dyes that don't pollute. And yeah. I've even spoken to three women that told me about three or four different flowers that they're going to start making silk out of so that they aren't depleting the silkworm supply and not having to pay so much for that, but to make the silk a little more affordable. And I love this idea. I spoke to another woman who's trying to come up with a new kind of polymer that does not have petroleum in it that is biodegradable and can be plastic she's cut or or a new kind of i don't want to say polyester because it's not polyester but it's a fabric that is biodegradable but has the washability and the fire resistance which some poly doesn't have but you know fire resistant 
we need that with so many things, but it also is highly pollutive. So, you know, puts a lot of bad chemicals in the air and everything. So all of these things are getting worked on. And I know the uh, fabric laws are going to be changing so that some of this polyester cannot even be on the market anymore to help with this landfill. Because the woman I spoke to who's from West Africa, who moved to Paris, Odette, um, she has uh, researched everything. And, you know, even even Africa has too much landfill. We can't send it to China and Africa anymore. We just got to quit doing it. They've been using them in barricades and airports and barricades, trying to use it instead of insulation to get rid of some of this crap. But we're, and there's so much redress, redone, redo, remake, antique shops trying to do what they can with um, vintage clothing. But, you know, there's still a bunch of garbage out there that nobody wants and it gets used in the land and we just can't do it anymore. So it's coming around. And I think that knowing that, Uh, as people look for their fabrics, uh, they will look for natural right now. And if, if hopefully you can get it at an affordable price where everybody still makes money, you know, you have to make money. I understand that. I was in 28 years. I totally understand you have to make money, but uh, I know all about that. Yeah. So I'm hoping that people start thinking, yes, let's develop here. Let's, Let's help the economy. Let's help each other and uh, stay in business. And if we miss another embroidery studio, this craft is going to die. And we need this type of work. And when people Mm -hmm. say, yeah, but it's cheaper. Yes, sure, it's cheaper. But then Mm -hmm. what are you doing with like the craft? Like you have to think about history and you have to think what's going to happen with the next generation. It's not always. Oh, yeah. I just. I just heard about all of this about cabinet makers. You know, yeah. nobody's going into cabinet making anymore. I was talking to Stephanie Gans and she says all these fabulous cabinetry makers, furniture makers, table makers wow. down south. When they, many of them retired with the pandemic. Yeah. Like, and who is going to take over that if it's not going to continue? So that it's means we're going to start importing again. And to me, this whole thing, like there has to be education about keeping my like I don't want to sound like I'm pushing for any agenda or any <laughs> but I just want to make sure, like we have to keep this craft like people we have do. got to keep this you still need a table made you, you still do need add it on to architecture or make it a division at FIT because People will love to go to that school, you know, add it in some of the North Carolina and Savannah College and some of these other places. Just add it and and Parsons add the beauty and have these guys before they pass away, have them come up and and do workshops with people to learn how to make tables and chairs and sofas and reupholstery and all of that. It's a craft that should never die. We all need it. We should stop importing everything we import literally everything and it's like just like tiring to see how much you spend money on because of the import okay Um, but another goal was for the company is to expand more on actually 
uh, on-site embroidery with Michelle and Natalie kind of came up with this idea during, you know, it was uh, after the pandemic, it took a while for us to get back, like people to come into the studio. So we thought, what about us going to them and creating this type of event um, to communicate, to connect with Oh, I think a lot of people would like to watch that. I think Natalie can like explain more. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's let uh, Natalie speak a while because we only have about fifteen minutes. So let's see what you can tell us about that and right. other things. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I know I didn't formally introduce myself. My name is Natalie. Um, I started with NYES originally um, directing the social media, actually, um, which led us into going on site. So the goal was for us to be able to bring machines actually onto, you know, in a company's space or brand. And we go in and we actually embroider or customize um, the merch that the guests are shopping. And so how it runs is we usually have a team of three or four of us. We bring on embroidery machines that um, are smaller than a regular, you know, Tajima. So it's easier to transport. And the goal is to kind of just have a live installation of having custom work done right on site and the guest or customer can watch it being embroidered. So we worked with um, my first client was actually Louis Vuitton. So we embroidered their dust bags, which the merch comes in and just something special for their customers to be able to have their dust bag that they use for travel or if they want to you know, store their shoes or put a hair dryer in it for their traveling purposes. It has their initials on it, which makes it a little bit more special. Absolutely. And I even had a friend of mine who was a seamstress and a, and a, a dean at um, a university. And she took dust bags of mine from everyone, Chanel, Louis Vuitton, Prada, whomever. And she made me two skirts to wear to yoga where I'd button it up. She had Velcro and a hook. And she made all front, all back, all sides were dust bags. The whole oh my goodness, that's so cool. But they were so heavy and hot when I moved mm-hmm. to Arizona. I had to give them back. I said, you can wear them now. <laughs> Sure. It's it's a good idea to repurpose those bags, though, you know, if you're not getting a ton of use. They were fabulous. They were fabulous. And I I think a lot of people repurpose repurpose that. She took all my Chanel cards and Chanel ribbon and did her entire bathroom and white towels and black towels with the ribbon and put the black and white, all the little cards out of my bags all around her mirror. (laughs) So it was a great bathroom for guests. <laughs> anyway, back to Natalie. Um, but yeah, so we've done multiple different events. Um, we have one for the U.S. Open coming up. We've done Bloomingdale's, RTA, Fleur de Mall. Um, and then we also have our mobile embroidery truck now, which is another way for our advertisement to, to kind of expand itself just because we're out in the street. In in the city. What's the na- what name does it have it on NYES? NYES, yep. On the first on one side it's NYES and then we have um you know on site embroidery, hot fix, just different services that kind of display what That's we all cool. do. How many yeah. days do you do certain days, certain hours? 
Yeah. So right now we usually actually, we did an event for Luxie hair. So it was kind of like a pop-up during the evening where the guests would come out of the store. Um, they can hang out, get drinks. They dropped off their, we actually did um, embroidery on their curling iron bags. So we just did their name just to make it a little bit more special, but they're yeah. really cute bags. That's um, cool did their name on them. So kind of just pull up to the store or company of, you know, who's wanting to use it. And then it almost services like as a food truck. So there's a window on the side, you come up, you drop off your merch or the gift that they're handing out, and then you can get your initials or a name on it. Um, but you really can do on-site. You're allowed. That's to, amazing. Yeah. It's, it's been really fun. And then if we're not using it for an event, usually we are just out driving it around in the city during the day mm-hmm. just to get our name out there more. And then, you know, if we want, okay. we can stop somewhere, we can stop in a park, um, kind of offer it to those who are walking around. If they're curious, we hand out business cards. So just like a way for us to get outside of the walls of the studio here and get into the city more. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that is just fantastic that you have that on site and the pop-ups and you're able to just do it like that. You know, that would be very good too for people that are traveling to New York as a quote unquote tourist, but not really, maybe they go there a lot, but something new for them to do or to take their kids or something to get something that was on site embroidered in New York. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And we are trying to expand more. We've done a couple different events, um, you know, in the tri-state area. So Jersey, Long Island, um, Manhattan. Um, Where you so go to their malls or areas? Yeah, malls, areas. Um, Long Island and Jersey were both malls. Um, and then, yeah, we're just kind of driving it around mm-hmm. throughout different areas. We'll post on our social media where we will be. And then if people reply and they're like, hey, are you still there? Or, if, you know, I bring something um, the idea is really just to be able to have like a walk-up service of you customization. Bet. Maybe Rodeo Drive or something. Exactly. <laughs> we'll even, make it out there one day. Yeah, even <laughs> over by theater, theater Row, you know, Broadway or something. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of that's Toronto, I think, requested if you can yeah. uh, drive to Toronto. So. We've had some big requests, that's for sure. <laughs> I know. I bet you have. Tell me about how do you go? What is your philosophy with marketing in today's world with so much social media and with very few people really doing the magazines anymore so much? They look more to online and Instagram. And I'm not saying they don't buy Vogue or Harper's or whatever uh, or town and country, but how do you see that? How do yeah, you- I think I see social media as a way of digitally displaying of our work. So um, really being able to post online, you know, all of the brands and designers that we work with are all on social media. So it makes it a lot easier to be able to connect. And also if we're working with them, it's something that we can record here. You know, we can make a TikTok about it and post it on our reels on Instagram. And that really drives the audience and followers to be able to look on the behind the scenes side of it, which is pretty cool. So I think we've gotten a lot of 
attention from being able to show that background. Um, you know, it's in the studio here. We're working on it. We're hand embroidering. And then we usually pan it out to being on the runway, which is really cool for the followers and the, you know, the people who really enjoy certain brands and then us being able to also work with them really helps. So, you know, it's one way to display something on a website. So we have our services on the website, which our social media is also linked on there as well. But having the social media, it also kind of gains that attraction for the generation that's coming up now that's wanting to get into designing. So we have, you know, a little team here where we can reach out to the emerging designers who are wanting to also stay in this realm of, um, you know, just come coming to us for their custom needs. So it's been helpful for um, just displaying of, you know, all of our capabilities in the studio. Yeah, it sounds like it. Now, this isn't anything I know too much about, but I've had about four shows of date about this metaverse and avatars and getting outfits for your particular avatar, NFTs. Are you guys entering that space or do you know yet or you're thinking about it? Well, I would say so Vogue actually posted, they published a article on the metaverse. And I think it's almost it's an interesting way to be able to view different runway shows. But it's also kind of taking away from that ability to be able to go in person and see the work done instead of now they're posting it online and you're not necessarily going in person to see it anymore. It's kind of just virtual. So it is definitely a different way of looking at it. And I know people like Gucci's got their whole world, Gucci restaurants, Gucci ice cream, Gucci, and then you can buy the clothes for your avatar or you can buy a real physical outfit and receive a metaverse outfit for your avatar. Or I was speaking to a jewelry designer who's on later this month and she does lots of gold, 18, 24 and up gold. And she does all of this jewelry for avatars and everything. They can buy it either way or both. And you can travel around the world with a little knapsack you know, and then you can just post all your pictures with all this stuff on that you've never bought physically, but you have purchased. Uh, and this is like a $40 billion business. I mean, what? I mean, what? I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't like fakey stuff. I mean, I don't like, I want to really look nice. I don't want to have on a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and pretend like I've got on Gucci or Yves Saint Laurent or something Malad has embroidered. I don't understand the world. I think it's very similar to buying stock. The difference is that here, just because you don't own that, when you buy stock, you don't necessarily have it, right? Mm-mm. Still the same idea, but here they're kind of telling you, well, this brand, you want to buy stock into it. Well, you what you get in return is your avatar address. That's how I look at it personally. Well, wh- I still have the trouble in figuring out stock in general. Yeah, me too. I don't. And that's why I said, oh, no, I don't know anything about that. But NFTs, is that more like what you're talking about? Where you, the little things yeah, that they be- make? Yeah, it's that one. <laughs> and then you trade that on an NFT market, like yeah. 
so this is basically trade. It's basically stock. That's what um, what's the celebrity Paris Hilton oh, Paris started, and it's literally buying a piece of art. It's like a stock again for in her company and saying, "Hey, I own part of this." Well, you don't necessarily own it. You don't have it physically, which to me that's the problem I have with this whole thing. Is like I don't want to buy, buy it. I don't want to wear it. Buy a house. One I want to wear it if I buy something, even if it's a house one day. Isn't even if I get it at a third the price and it's still five grand instead of fifteen, yeah, like, I don't want my avatar to only have it. <laughs> But I definitely think we're going into that world. And I think that's why I decided to do what I do on the side of, you know, to uh, the more you look at where Elon Musk is going, where all of the big guys are moving us towards. I Mm -hmm. think we got to think of a way to still figure out how we're going to deal at that time. Like, how are we using crypto? Are we... How are you being able to, um, how do you say it? Uh, uh, you know the words. Um, I know. But yeah, it's a different world. Um, I still think fashion has got to stay like me too. Real because at the end me of the day, too. you have to cover that body, right? I mean, RuPaul would say we're all born naked and the rest is drag. Yes, he's totally right. Uh, you still have got to cover that body. Yes. <laughs> so Beautifully. And why not do it beautifully? Otherwise, I mean, it drives everything I do. I wouldn't work out. I wouldn't drink all this water. I wouldn't I, not eat carbs. I mean, if if I wasn't for the fashion, exactly. I mean, I think if, if I... You think, yeah, if you think about the whole cycle, the economic cycle behind fashion, it's like, Makeup gets involved. Jewelry yes, gets involved. yes. Yeah, Sunglasses. I or like I buy glasses instead of uh, lenses for your contacts because I like sh- glasses. You know, yeah. because they're cute. You can is, buy all different shapes, and it's another thing to buy. Yes, fashion definitely. Um, you need it in your life. Whether you think it's uh, it's a passion of mine. I I have a passion for fashion. I'm not going to give it up. But I mean, you know, my my husband and my nieces and nephews are saying, yeah, but if you can just, you know, not deal with it. Wants to not deal with fashion. No way that's ever going to happen to me. Now, maybe there will be people that. But I really do think just about everybody's got mar- bar mitzvahs, christenings, if you're Catholic, weddings to go to. It's not all going to turn into only, you know, online. It just isn't because people love to be touched and seen and held and yeah. expressed. Express your love for your fellow man and for your friends and for your family and just people in general. You know, I think it will take so much away from society not to have fashion. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. <laughs> I'm going to end up having Aaron come on here and tell me I'm going to have to leave. But how would you guys like to wrap it? Well, um, I wanted to say really thank you so much. This has been pleasant uh, chatting with you. and Thank you. Um, people and uh no it's um i would hope 
we keep uh, the craft here in the States and just want to say fashion is in all of us's world and life. Like we all have a fashion in our world. So um, let's keep it alive. Keep fashion alive. We're, yeah. We are voting for fashion, fashion. forever. Okay. Yeah. Fashion forever. Thank you so much, Milad and so Natalie much. from Thank New York Embroidery Studio. Night. See you later. Or I guess it's evening there, right? <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Thank you again. Thank you Bye. so much. Melody Edmondson has created a book series available on Amazon.com. The Space of the Waist series is comprised of a body shape by a waist length and will have all the information you need to dress and accessorize beautifully. You choose yours after first buying book one, The Guidebook, your fashion guide based on body shape and the space of the waist. This is a new method of determining your body shape and your waist length termed the space of the waist. Thank you for listening to The Space of the Waste. Please join host Melody Edmondson again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next time.